Welcome, everybody, to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell. On this show, we attempt to scratch the soccer itches you never knew you had. That's Ryan Bailey's phrasing for what this episode is. For me, it's about exploring some basic, some intermediate topics, getting into them in more detail so that we can answer some questions you may have had or never knew you had. There you go. It all connects. On this episode, we're going to be talking about the Old Firm Derby, what it is, its history, the intensity of that game, and much, much more. To do so, I'm joined by a man who has been to several Old Firm games. It's Graham Ruffin. Hello, Graham. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. And this... uh this this topic was suggested by Morrissey. I presume not the Morrissey of the Smiths, um, a different Morrissey in the TSS Plus Discord. So thank you for the suggestion and for indulging me, who will now have thirty minutes to talk about uh, Scottish soccer. So thanks for that, uh, Morrissey. Not the artist. Also, definitely not Graham Ruffin's pseudonym that he used to ask this question. Correct, Graham? <laughs> Damn, I've been caught. <laughs> you should have gone with Robert Smith. Then I would have answered it immediately. Yeah. Always the cure, never Morrissey. Uh, Graham, we are. We're going to talk about the Old Firm Derby, which is basically going to be me asking you questions and then sitting back and hearing you talk about it. Uh, for people who are unfamiliar, what is this rivalry, which many will say is one of, if not the biggest rivalries in world soccer? Yeah, so let's start right at the uh, at the beginning. Let's talk about what the game actually is. So for anyone who hasn't heard of the Old Firm, um, this is the name given to the rivalry between Celtic and Rangers the two biggest soccer clubs in Scotland. And over the decades and centuries, actually, the, the Old Firm Derby has established itself as one of the, the fiercest derbies in, in the world. And the first meeting between the two took place in 1888. So that gives you an idea of how long these games have been uh, taking place. And um, the, the, it's, 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 a, it's a rivalry and a derby that completely dominates Scottish culture. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but it's a completely dominant part of Scottish culture. It completely transcends soccer, and I think that's a big part of why this derby is, to this day, still so compelling. And a question we have gotten previously, have answered previously, but get pretty regularly is, why is it called the Old Firm Derby? So in terms of the origin of, of the name itself, um, it's, it's one of those things where people can't really agree on where the, it originally came from. So there are some articles with some theories. One thing that gets referenced quite a lot is a, a cartoon in a magazine from the early 1900s, which showed a, a man wearing a sandwich board sign that read, patronize the old firm, Rangers Celtic Limited. Um, and while that joke i'm sure was hilarious at the time <laughs> it feels like that, maybe that humor has, yeah apparently <laughs> right. i feel like humor has maybe moved on a little yeah. bit but apparently that referenced the way that the two clubs work together to essentially run scottish football and that idea kind of persists to this day that these two clubs while they might be rivals um, do kind of run the game in this country and um, there is there is a bit of pushback on that term old firm so celtic fans in particular don't like to be associated with with rangers and they believe the old firm tag kind of does that it ties the two clubs together and um a lot of them believe that when rangers went bust in 2012 they came back as a different club and actually it's a view that is kind of held, not, not explicitly by the club, by Celtic itself, but they don't mention the Old Firm Derby in any official club uh, correspondence. 
in a lot of press conferences they won't even mention Rangers by name basically just feeding this idea that a lot of their own fans have that they are a different club that Rangers died the old firm died and it doesn't exist anymore so that is a whole debate in itself what is the old firm in 2023 Mm. but for the sake of this episode for the sake of a a one-on-one explainer the old firm derby is the rivalry between Celtic and Rangers and Scottish and Scottish soccer and it is famously intense, uh, occasionally violent, always passionate. Yes. Uh, and to understand, I think, how we got here and that relationship, I want to go back to the beginning. How did both of these clubs begin? What is sort of their origin story? Yeah, so Celtic, as a club, they were founded in 1887. So that's just one year before the first meeting between the, the two clubs, the first Old Firm Derby. And their purpose as a club was to raise money and help provide for the, the very poor Irish Catholic community in Glasgow. Rangers are the the older of the two clubs. They were founded in 1872, so they'd been around for a while by the time that Celtic came along. They initially didn't have any sort of political or religious identity. And and, and when you read about the early days of the rivalry, it, it sounds quite tame, actually. It, it wasn't like the, the, the rivalry started immediately. It wasn't a it wasn't like an MLS rivalry that immediately had like a name bestowed on it by the league. At that time, the context here is at that time, Glasgow was an absolute hotbed of of soccer. Um, it was a global hotbed and there were loads of clubs. I did a Patreon video a couple of months ago of Third Lanark, who were a big team in mm-hmm. Glasgow and, and their stadium to, is, is still there to this day. They don't play there anymore. It's, it's completely derelict now. But Basically, the point I'm making is Glasgow had six or seven big clubs at that time. So when Rangers, sorry, when Celtic come on the scene and Rangers are already there, it's just kind of another club. Um, it wasn't until 1912 that this started to change around that time, the early 1900s, and Rangers started to develop the identity that we know of them today. So what happened, I found in my research, um, I didn't really know this. I kind of know the gist of of, mm-hmm. of people coming over from Northern Ireland, but apparently in 1912 specifically, there was a, a Belfast shipbuilder which was known for having anti-Catholic hiring practices and they opened a yard in, in Glasgow. Glasgow was a, a big shipbuilding city around that time. And so you had a lot of Ulster Protestants moving to the city and so they adopted Rangers as, as, as their club and the club leaned into that and from there, Rangers adopted a policy of not having Catholic players um, famously, Graham Souness challenged that in the 80s when he was the, the, the manager of Rangers. He, he bought Mo Johnson, who was the, the first um, Catholic to, to, to sign for Celtic at that time. So, um, yeah, Rangers and Celtic now are, are very much intertwined with religious and, and political identity. That is a big part, the main part, I would say, of why this rivalry and this derby is, is, is so compelling. Um, but mm-hmm. initially... It wasn't really part of, certainly Rangers, it wasn't really part of their constitution as, 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 as a club. I did like, maybe this is apocryphal, but I did like that quote from Graham Sunis about, like, I'm married, like, if, if I let this bleed into my, like, life, I'm married to a Catholic, my wife is Catholic, I would have to, like, if I kept this policy going, I'd have to go home and answer to her. And so uh, I guess his idea would be that that's why they changed it. I'm going to assume also they changed it because they wanted more, better players. Yeah, yeah, they're kind of limiting their pool a little bit there. Little bit. But it is notable that it took someone, as we all know about Graham Souness, a, a very bull, a bullish character, mm-hmm. will speak his mind. It took someone like that to kind of to, to, to break that prejudice with, with Rangers and in Scottish soccer in general. Because if anyone has watched the documentary about um, Sir Alex Ferguson, who used to play for Rangers, 
when he signed for Rangers, he he was asked, "Oh, and who, who's your who's your partner? Who's your wife?" And he told told them, "My wife's Kathy." And they asked him, "Where did you get married?" Oh, uh, she is Catholic, but I didn't get married. It wasn't a Catholic wedding. And they went, "Okay, okay, good. Just just keep that to yourself that your wife is is, is Catholic." Yikes! And Alex Ferguson's resentment. Re- Alex Ferguson was a Rangers fan. He grew up in Govan. He worked in the ship shipyards in Govan when he was when he was a teenager. And his resentment for Rangers built from that point because of of that conversation, because of the way that that club was run. So even someone like Sir Alex Ferguson, who I know at that point wasn't the manager that we we came to know, but someone who I presume as a player still had a very bullish personality, even he didn't feel like he could kind of speak out against that. And obviously in 2023, that just seems ridiculous. But for a long time, it was just a given that Catholic players didn't play for Rangers, which is insane. It is. It's also sort of where I I start to feel like unless you have lived this rivalry or maybe lived in the UK or Ireland, uh, it becomes harder to understand because to to your point, the history Celtic have that connection to Irish, uh, like the Irish Catholic community from the outset. Rangers, it feels like adopt that in response to that identity that if you're a Protestant or if you were anti-Catholic at the time, you don't want to support Celtic. So you got to find somebody. So you sort of end up congregating and flocking to Rangers. But that's, that also feels like a thing that in other countries and other leagues, would have dissipated. It still would have been an issue. It still would have been a thing, but I think it wouldn't have been that sort of divide. And I'm assuming because of the political history uh, relating to Ireland and and yeah. uh, and everything that I'm just going to leave that there because I've I've come to learn that I don't know enough about the troubles to really talk about them. <laughs> uh, but I will just say that that feels like a thing that you have to sort of at least appreciate that that history is part of where the intensity of this rivalry comes from. Hundred percent. I would say to understand the old firm rivalry and Dar- derby really intricately, you also have to understand Scotland and and also Scotland's relationship with Ireland and Northern Ireland. So Glasgow in the eighteen hundreds, um, as I've kind of detailed already, became a bit of an out an outpost for both Catholic Irish and Ulster Protestants from Northern Ireland. So in in the Graham, one what city, is an Ulster is that just from like the the area of Ireland they came from? Yes, Ulster Protestant yes. school. Yeah, that that would be Northern Ireland. Ulster is a, a region of Northern Ireland. So in the, in the one city, you had this major divide, um, this religious divide that in, in another country resulted in a hard border and ultimately the Good Friday Agreement. But of course, in Glasgow, none of that exists. None, none of that exists. So while you have the different communities within the city, so the Gallagate is very much a, a traditional Catholic community in Glasgow, and then somewhere like Brigton, which is, is incidentally um, just along the road from Celtic Park. I've always found that a little bit weird, but that is traditionally a, a Protestant uh, community, obviously leans towards Rangers. You do have those uh, those communities, but it all exists in one city. It's all kind of been mixed up. And as I say, in Ireland, you have you have more to divide those communities out to maybe, I guess, with the Good Friday Agreement, certainly kind of keep the peace. In Glasgow, there's, there's none of that. And then extrapolating it out with those religious connections to the, the two clubs come political and cultural connotations. So I, Irish Catholics will lean towards republicanism, um, while Ulster Protestants are more likely to be unionists. And from there, again, you can extrapolate, you can continue to extrapolate out. So Celtic fans, I'm obviously speaking generally here, but just talking about the identity of, of clubs and their fan base, traditional identity. Celtic fans are socialist. Uh, socialist Rangers fans are conservatives. 
Um, and in modern times, that has kind of been blurred because in Scotland we have the SNP as the ruling party now, uh, or they've been the ruling party for the last 15 years. And as I say, that has sort of blurred the lines somewhat. And I did a piece for the New York Times a long time ago now. It must be 10 years ago now, which makes me feel very old. Um, it, that piece was on how the 2014 independence vote in Scotland meant that Celtic and Rangers fans couldn't be pigeonholed so easily because you had a lot of Celtic fans... Um, who are maybe traditional Labour voters who wanted to stay in, in in the UK. I know that seems very confusing because Celtic fans traditionally are kind of Irish Republicans, but that was there was a faction of their support. They also had a, a, a faction of pro-independence fans, and same with Rangers. You know, Rangers traditionally, Rangers have a picture of the Queen, or they did have a picture of the Queen in their dressing room. I believe it's now a picture of the King. And you, so you can you can kind of uh, tell what their leanings are politically and in terms of the constitution of the UK. But they also had a lot of fans that were pro-independence as well and wanted Scotland to be their, their own independent country. So the, the point I'm making here is that this rivalry is a cultural cornerstone. It informs so many other things in Scottish society. And maybe I'm being ignorant here. There are other rivalries and derbies around the world that are fierce. You go to Buenos Aires and, and you know, the rivalry between River Plate and Boca Juniors. You go to Turkey. There are, there are big football rivalries there as well. I haven't personally encountered a rivalry that just kind of, as I say, informs all other areas of society like the old firm does in Scotland. And, and I think the difference there with so many other ones like obviously you have it with Real Madrid and their connection to Franco and and the the central government versus Barcelona and Catalan nationalism but those are still two different parts of the country it's just two of these historically significant teams yeah. whereas here you're getting two in the same city and that is also going to ratchet things up a bit which leads me to sort of my confusion about where things stand in the modern era cuz obviously there is still much antipathy and rivalry between these two how overt is the sectarian aspect of things like i know you're going to get the republic of ireland flag versus the union jack as opposed to scotland flags but do you still get the protestant catholic divide as much is that a thing that you're going to hear yelled out back and forth during the game or is that oh. sort of on the back burner no absolutely you will hear that during most rangers and celtic I, I, matches i find that surprising i gotta say so, so Rangers fans, if if you watch uh, any Rangers match, I would hazard a guess that you will hear um, the song "Billy Boys" sang at least once during that game. There are other songs. Um, oh, I can't quite. What, remember what, what is it's Billy Boys? Um, oh man, we are getting into the weeds here. But I'm into um, it. I'm basically, into it. the the I believe it's about the Battle of the Boyne, which was is essentially ah. this is the TLDR. But essentially, Battle of the Boyne is a battle between Catholics and Protestants and and old time Ireland. And so Rangers fans will sing about that. There's another song I couldn't really tell you the history behind this one, but there's another song that references Derry's walls. Um, obviously, London Derry being the reference there, which is kind of a, a hotbed for a lot of sectarianism and unfortunately a lot of violence over the years um so yes you certainly still hear things like that you'll hear celtic fans um t singing pro ira chants um during games the ira obviously being a, a pro-republican uh, terrorist group who killed a lot of people in the uk in the 90s and into the early 2000s so yes, absolutely, there is still a lot of that at games. The the the, the thing that is quite difficult to separate out is, and I, look, this sounds like I'm making excuses for people that sing horrendous things like that, but 
how how much do these people believe in what they're actually singing and and how much is actually just football tribalism and they are using their football fandom as an excuse to sing these horrendous things do you get what i mean like yeah absolutely how how many people if you took away the football how many how many of these people would be so overtly extremist on one side would would that still be the case or would it is it just the football that is the vehicle for that that is a a difficult conversation to have because i don't really have an answer for that let me ask you this then like will you get it it being the case that you'll get like if you have a group of guys hanging out are half of them or like some of them Celtics, some of them Rangers and it's not that big of a deal unless they're playing each other. Like, or is it that big of a divide of like, you don't wear Celtic gear into this part of the city. You don't wear Rangers gear around Celtic supporters, even if they're your friends. Cause it might turn South. Um, I think to be honest, that defend that it depends on the friend group. Mm-hmm. I, I would yeah, personally We're talking find more just casual friends than like Begbie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would say generally you don't want to be friends with someone like Megby nah. in any setting, regardless of what football shirt you're wearing. I would find it unusual if I, if I, you know, was driving down the street and I saw a group of people he was walking Hibs, on by the, the way, pavement. I think I'm pretty sure he's Hibbs. Yeah, the, yeah. So Irvin Welsh is a big Hibs fan. Everyone in Irvin Welsh books yeah. is, is is Hibs, um, and there's a few jibes at Hearts in a lot of those books and films yep. as well, which I always find quite amusing. <laughs> um, if I was, if I saw a group of people and and there was a Celtic fan and a Rangers fan in that same group in that friend group, I I would find that unusual. I I would hmm. remark on that and say, oh, that's that's a little bit unusual. In fact, I've seen it with kids a couple times, and I've and I've remarked to to, to my wife, "Oh, that's not good to see a Celtic and Rangers like kids mixing," and and that shouldn't be notable. That should be completely normal because if I look out my window and there's there's kids playing football, you know, there's a Man United shirt and there's a Liverpool shirt. That that happens fairly regularly. There's a, or there's a Real Madrid shirt and a Barcelona shirt, but with Celtic and Rangers, it is a little bit, it is it is a little bit different. Um, I have to say. So uh, in the Super Bowl this year, we had the Kelsey brothers playing on opposite teams. And whenever they showed their mom, she had half Chiefs, half Eagles as like the team she was supporting. If I bought you a half Celtic, half Ranger shirt, like how happy would you be to wear that out in public? No, no. that's maybe the one shirt that might actually I would get I would get more abuse, you know, walking into a Celtic or Rangers uh, part of the city Mm. wearing that shirt than if I just wore the opposite team shirt. I, I think that is the one a fixture where you will not find a half and half scarf i can guarantee that you will not find that at a celtic rangers game and if for whatever reason there has been a half and half scarf at those games nobody has bought one i can guarantee that so uh in college uh when i chose to major in anthropology much to my parents chagrin what really pulled me in was aside from the idea of maybe one day getting to hang out with chimpanzees was cultural anthropology uh, and specifically the idea of having to like understand a culture as best you can without impacting it. And I always felt like that was impossible to sort of not bring your own stuff into that equation. And so for me, I think looking at the old firm derby, looking at the rivalry, looking at some of the kind of animosity that still exists, it feels odd. It feels foreign. It feels like a thing that wouldn't happen in American sports. You'd still get the rivalry. You'd still get a lot of the, the vitriol, but you wouldn't get as many of the sort of historical connections in that way, or at least not as overtly. I think you even see that with stuff like Manchester United and Liverpool, where there is 
more of a concerted effort to go away from the like anything relating to Hillsborough, anything relating to Munich. And it still does happen, but I think it certainly doesn't happen nearly as widely as it used to. And I say that all to say that Withfield from Derby, it feels like one of those things that unless you've lived it and and truly understand all of that history and all of the weight that comes into those two teams when they meet each other, any sort of outside criticism, outside opinion on it is just that. I think it's outside criticism and opinion that doesn't really take into account all of the many other things that should be taken into account. Yeah, and and these the the, the old firm derby and the rivalry has hasn't just it, it hasn't. Uh, what I'm trying to say, there's a reason it's it's like this. It's not it's not just been created like this by design. It's not like Celtic mm-hmm. Rangers one day were like, should we have a really fierce rivalry one day that encapsulates all political, religious, and like hmm. cultural uh, facets uh, and dominates Scottish society? Yeah, okay, let's do that. That'll be really good for our brand. No, that didn't happen. It, it was it, it, the 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 old firm rivalry is a product of. Um, Scotland's history as 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 a, as a whole, and so there's not really much that you can do to control that. It's it's kind of out of control. You know, there's 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 a lot of hand wringing from police and league figures and the Scottish FA about how to control this rivalry. And every so often, which we might talk about, there's there's an incident that prompts a government summit. There's been some horrendous incidents. I remember. A really terrible. This is probably the worst one in the mid nineties, um, where a sixteen-year-old fan had his his throat slit and died for wearing a, I think it was a Celtic shirt in a Rangers part of the city. That obviously caused outrage. There's a, there's a charity nil by mouth, which was born from that in, that incident, which is kind of it fights and combats sectarianism in in, in Scotland. But you can't. You can't really control these things. People have been been trying to control the old firm derby for decades and haven't been able to because you're having to control, as I say, political, religious, cultural aspects that you can't control. It's 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 a it's a product of Scotland. It's a, it's a consequence. And look, there's there are there are obviously negative parts of this rivalry, as I've just detailed there. But to think you can change it at this point, mm-hmm. I personally would say is 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 foolish and far fetched. A very cliche question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. There is the idea that to fully hate something, you either first or simultaneously have to love that thing. That in order to have that level of animosity towards a thing, there also has to be some other connection that allows you to have that sort of animosity. If you just don't like somebody who you met casually, you just don't like them, they move on. But to have a true dislike of them, there has to be something else going on. Mm. Is there a tiny bit of appreciation for each other? As you've said, they kind of ruled Scottish football together. They ran it together. They have done that for so long. Is there a begrudging respect with that hatred or is it mostly just an acceptance that there's a relationship but we don't like each other so at executive level in terms of the 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 people who run the two clubs in the past there has definitely been that respect and that's where the name the old firm the old firm kind of comes from that that these two clubs were were, um one side of the the same coin and that they ran scottish football and so in the past, it would be Celtic and Rangers that would lead the discussions on um, TV deals, for example, with Sky. It would be whoever the league head was at the time, um, and then it would be the, the Celtic chief executive and the Rangers chief executive. They would go to London, they would speak to Sky. Those were the people that 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 forged those deals. 
the the dynamic has changed since Celtic, excuse me, since Rangers uh, went bankrupt in 2012. Celtic have sort of distanced themselves from from Rangers, both in terms of their fan base and at executive level, because they essentially had an experience of having the league to themselves. And so the the argument was, we don't need Rangers. We win this league every single season. Why would we not want that? We're still getting revenue. We're still in the Champions League. That was the other thing. If you win the league, you're into the Champions League. So Celtic were making more money when Rangers weren't in the top division. On the flip side of things, because Rangers see the Old Firm Derby as a way to almost legitimise themselves post-bankruptcy, you have more of a, a more determination from Rangers to link themselves to Celtic to be like the old firm derby still a thing and we're still a part of the old firm derby and we're still the same Rangers and I'm not making a statement on whether or not they are the same club or not but that has very much been the 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 sentiment mm. from Rangers in that regard and also from their fans I mean last season Rangers played Celtic at Ibrox they had they had a special tunnel made for the game which in big letters said the old firm derby established 1888 which was a very pointed argument from rangers who were trying to say essentially the old firm derby still exists despite what celtics say but uh, yeah i think the fan base is i I would struggle to say certainly from the celtic to the rangers um from celtic towards rangers i don't know if there is much Hmm. respect to be honest um I'm not even sure there's respect between Rangers and Celtic. I think, as I say, it's just a way for Rangers to legitimise themselves. We have seen in the last couple of years at executive level, Celtic and Rangers just starting to work on a few things together. So there was a there was a pre-season tournament. Oh, no, it wasn't pre-season, actually. It was during the World Cup. There was a tournament in Australia that Celtic and Rangers were meant to go to. And then the promoters promoted it as Ange Postacoglu's homecoming and some other teams. And uh, Rangers didn't like being part of the and some other teams. And so their fans uh, processes against that and Rangers pulled out of that tournament, hmm. ultimately. Also, the we a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember, we talked about the Colt teams in Scottish football. Rangers and Celtic having B teams in the, in the Scottish pyramid. They're currently in the league just below Stirling Albion. And so Celtic and Rangers have worked together to a certain extent on that proposal to get their B teams into Scottish football. So while I would say the old firm in the traditional sense no longer exists and that the two clubs... I put it this way, I don't think the chief executive of Celtic is calling the chief executive Fair. of Rangers on a daily basis, which in the past might have been the case. But there is still a uh they do work together on 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 certain things. There is still a semblance of a relationship there. So let me ask you this then, from an outsider neutral perspective. Like I was given uh, a Rangers shirt by an old coach of mine when I was a kid. I think I'm going to assume he was a Rangers supporter for that reason. So I've always sort of just like leaned Rangers because of that connection. If I were to somehow get tickets to one of these games and showed up wearing a Rangers shirt, am I like immediately telling on myself because I think I would expect it to be a sort of, ah, you know, uh, Manchester Derby, like eh, there's an expectation maybe there's going to be some casuals there. Whereas this feels like right away you are identifying as one and it won't be greeted with like, oh, good for you. You're a Yank who cares about football. It will be like, get out of my store. <laughs> um, there might be a, a little bit of an element of of, of that. Actually, it's, should, it should is, neutrals sh- wear black, Graham? That's my question. Should neutrals just uh, refrain from trying to insert themselves into this at all? And if you're going to go, just uh, just be a neutral, be there and observe. Yeah. If in doubt, 
goth. Goth up. <laughs> perfect, perfect. My other uh, important question would be: uh, at some point, you will you will hang out with uh, with me and my wife. At some point down the road, I'm sure she. Uh, when it comes to sports, uh, despite being like pretty calm, pretty measured, uh, she 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 likes history and she seems to like violence a little bit. She uh, she really enjoys <laughs> rugby. She really enjoys UFC. Uh, so if you were giving her sort of some of the best like historical moments, the most notable moments, the ones that really define this rivalry for you yep. on the pitch or off, what? But maybe ideally on the pitch, what would they be? What are those kind of like great stories when it comes to the old firm? Yep, so I'll give you some on the, the pitch examples because some of the off-the-pitch examples yeah. are pretty, pretty bleak. <laughs> I realized that I as soon as I said it. I was like, no, I don't want to hear about massacres and violence. Let's keep it moving. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually used to live above a, a, a loyalist Rangers pub when I lived in the city centre. And so an old firm day, I'm I'm not exaggerating, there, there were running battles out, out, out of our window. And actually, my flatmate... Um, was had to give a statement to the police one time because he witnessed someone being very brutally injured. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it can get a bit bleak with the off the off the pitch stuff. On the pitch, I mean, it's, there's there's some not great stuff as well with on the pitch, but it, you know, it's maybe not as bleak. Um, maybe the, the the most inf- infamous old from Derby incident was it was before my time, but it gets it still gets spoken about to this day. It was the the 1980 Scottish Cup final. Um, Celtic won that game one nil. But the main event was the two sets of fans uh, at Hamden invading the pitch and essentially charging at each other on the pitch. Um, There are clips of this on YouTube. The impact of that is still being felt to this day because alcohol was banned in Scottish football stadiums after this. And that that ban is still in place. Still, uh, what is that, like 30? How many years later is that? 40, 43 years later. And uh, that alcohol ban is still in place because of this match. It was pretty shocking, to to be fair. You have Paul Gascoigne, no violence involved in this one, thankfully, but you have Paul Gascoigne playing air flute at Celtic Park in 1998, um, which for anyone who who doesn't know what that signifies, uh, you have Orange Walks, um, which are um, very overtly aligned with uh, Ulster Protestants and, and the bands in those Orange Walks, they, they play flutes. And so that was the, the whole gesture with Gascoigne there. He was fined £20,000 for, for doing that. I might require a little more context, which I'm guessing means listeners will as well. What is an Orange Walk? Ah, uh, that is a difficult question for me to answer. Oh um, an orange walk, as I say, is is a very I would consider it. My personal opinion is that an orange walk is um, Ooh, a see. demonstration by the Orange Order, and they are a kind of extremist right wing Ulster Protestant group. That is not to say that everyone who is an Ulster Protestant is part of the Orange Order, but nonetheless, they as I say, they are an, an extremist. A demonstration of 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 that part of the community, and they play flutes, and so Paul Gascoigne did air flute at Celtic Park, which went down as well as you would expect. <laughs> yeah, was he? Uh, how many things were thrown at him? Oh, I I don't think there was anyone left in that stadium who didn't throw something at, at Paul Gascoigne in, in that game, and that leads me on to another incident. Actually, you have the in the nineteen ninety nine Hugh Dallas game as it's now 
known as, so Hugh Dallas was the preeminent referee in Scotland at the time. He was struck on the head with a with a coin thrown from the crowd, and there's the infamous picture of kind of blood pouring down his his head. Not great at all. You have the 2011 Shame Game, as it's called. This is the one I remember most vividly because I was just starting to work in kind of soccer journalism at this point. And um, basically, you had four players sent off. You had Ali McCoyst and Neil Lennon screaming at each other on the touchline, head to head, squaring up against each other. Um, there was violence uh, uh, around the match and in the city it kind of lingered for a couple days and you had a government summit on the back of this match on on how to kind of handle the fallout from it and and the 2011 game actually quelled the rivalry for for a bit in terms of the the derbies on the pitch I do think the, the the games have calmed down a little bit and I think 2011 played a big role in that because the police now go into the dressing room to steep to speak to Celtic Rangers fans before kickoff to basically just kind of remind them of the responsibilities as role models and maybe not to ratchet it up too much but while we haven't really had another shame game for a while, um, you always get the sense that you're only a bad tackle away from just the whole thing blowing up, to be honest. That's really interesting to me because I think so often when you have this level of like acrimony between two teams, it then is like baked in and you have players coming through the academy who are steeped in that tradition who know it, they're going to be up for it. As these two teams have gotten more international and, and have players from different backgrounds, do you feel like those players embrace that division themselves when they come in? Do you think it is a little bit tamer in the locker room? Or uh, on the day of an old firm game, do you feel like it is Rangers on one side, Celtic on the other, and all the players understand the significance there? That That is a, a difficult one to answer because I do have mixed thoughts. I, I do feel like currently... Yes, the cosmopolitan nature of of both teams' squad probably has been a factor in how those matches aren't quite as fierce as they used to be. So Celtic currently have a lot of Japanese players. Uh, Rangers obviously have a a few Americans in there. So they they are, as I say, very cosmopolitan squads. But then I would argue that Celtic Rangers have had cosmopolitan squads for, for kind of decades. You know, towards the end of the 90s, Celtic Rangers had money. There was a time in the 90s when Rangers had the biggest wage bill in world football, which is ridiculous to think of now, but that that, that was the case in the 90s. So you had players like uh, Brian Loudrop, you had the De Boer brothers playing for Rangers, you know, Celtic had Henrik Larsson. So it's not like back in those days that Celtic Rangers had purely Scottish or even British squads. There has been that cosmo- cosmopolitan um, element to the, to the rivalry for a while. And I would also point to players like El Juf. Who obviously is is, is yeah. not a Scot, has not been grown up, has not grown up in this uh, in this environment. But he fully embraced the whole, as you would expect, of course, El has just to do. He embraced the old firm rivalry. I, uh, Alf- Alfredo Morelos as well yeah. as another player who is who has embraced that as as well. Obviously a Colombian. So just because you haven't maybe been steeped in all this stuff your whole life doesn't mean that when you enter it that you can become kind of engulfed in it in your own way. For purposes of this recreation, what do you think El Hajj Juf is called by by teammates? Is he Jufi? Haji? Just Rottweiler, I think. But I just, I <laughs> Something do just, like that. I do just picture them like trying to get his attention as the police are in there talking to them about de-escalating, and he's just in the corner, like actual making literal Molotov cocktails. Like what? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah totally calm. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. It shouldn't be a problem yeah. at all. That is that it, feels spot on. It, it's it really is fascinating how I, I also think there can be. 
like when you even if you aren't brought up in a thing when you move to that club i think certain aspects of that club's history and identity are impossible to escape and i think for players that want to be part of that club legend part of that club history there will be an intensification of it so that they i feel like some players who aren't steeped in it can come around and end up being even more like heavily involved in that history and that rivalry, like we're talking about with Duf and with uh, with Alfredo Morelos, who is kind of always good for a red card. Is he the player that you think is most likely to get a red card historically, or is it Scott Brown? So or somebody Scott else? Brown, Scott Brown, I would say, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think Scott Brown was very good at walking the line mm. between... He was a wind-up merchant, Scott Brown. It's what he was in Old Firm Derbies. But actually, I mean, he must have got a red card in an Old Firm Derby at some point. I can't really remember him getting many, though. None, none really come to, come to mind. Whereas Alfredo Morelos is a different sort of character where the Old Firm Derby has actually brought the worst out of, of, of Alfredo Morelos, both as a, as, a, as a character, but also as a player. He, the, he went a long, long time before scoring his first Old Firm goal because it felt like he got caught up in the whole atmosphere and he was too busy kind of trying to fight with uh, with opposition defenders and putting in slide tackles. And I think there's at least two red cards that he's had in Old Firm derbies because, as I say, he just got caught up in it. More recently, he has been a little bit more focused, but nonetheless, you still kind of feel like he has a bit of a walking card, a walking red card at any given moment. So yeah, Morelos would, would certainly be close to the top of the list. Uh, Scott Brown, as I say, maybe dealt with it in a different way, but he's he's certainly a, a, a famous old firm protagonist. Chris Sutton was always a bit of a villain for Rangers fans. Uh, Nacho Novo, he liked to wind up Celtic. Kenny Miller played for both teams. So did Mo Johnson, famously the, the first Catholic player to play for, 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 for Rangers, signed by Graham Souness. So you, you, you get players that thrive in that environment. You also get players who can't really hack it, to be honest, the derby and the rivalry. I mean, most memorably, Joey Barton was one of them. Joey Barton joined Rangers one summer and I think he'd won English Championship Player of the Year. He'd signed for Rangers. He made some outlandish claims about how he'd be the best player in Scotland and how he would walk it and all that sort of stuff that you would expect from Joey Barton. He played one old firm derby. Rangers got smashed, I think, in that game 5-1. Joey Barton got completely bullied. At one point, looked like he was going to cry. I can remember the, 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 the picture of him on the TV looking like he is really struggling in this environment. That was the last game he played for Rangers. He'd never played for Rangers again. He left his contract pretty much a month after that. And so you do get players. I mean, not to the same degree at, at all, but just to talk about an American. I mean, James Sands, unfortunately, was another player who just kind of looked a bit lost in old firm games. And, and that's not because he's a bad player or anything like that. I just think it takes a certain mm-hmm. type of character to handle that sort of environment. Yeah. And some players can do it and others, even if they are very good players, cannot. This is me nodding uh, because there are, I think, two goals that I think of as iconic, for, in my opinion, uh, for Americans playing abroad. Uh, the one would be Clint Dempsey with the chip versus Juventus when he was playing for Fulham. That's just such a an amazing goal, an amazing feat of skill. But it connects to the idea that I think Americans very much undervalued still to some extent, but back then very much like, oh, you shouldn't be playing American football. What's he doing here? And so for an American to pull off that moment of brilliance was was really, really, really fun. And for me as well, like when you look at the history and the the rivalries between clubs for an American to score the winner in an old firm derby was a very, 
very big moment in my fandom. I told him as such when I hung out with him once. <laughs> uh, Marie Sadu scoring the winner. It's why it's one of the many reasons why I love Marie Sadu. But also to your point, some people I think cannot rise to the occasion for him to score that winner. Uh, felt like, hey, we did it. We contributed to history. That's fun. I think he then gets his car set on fire later on down the line. So maybe less fun <laughs> for him. But that day well, that, probably that, fun. That actually happens fairly regularly. I'm, I, I'm not that I'm excusing it, but cars getting set on fire like the cars of old firm players yeah. that that does happen fairly regularly it's just like if you score an home goal should you be ready to start looking for a new car yeah look look for something cheap <laughs> do what they do in in italy i think i've spoken about this before how italian players like have uh have like an apology car after uh after a big defeat where they drive to training in like a fiat punto or whatever wait is that or, real like, fiat 500 yeah 100 percent it's like uh, Spalletti drives some kind of cheap car that you wouldn't expect. And basically the theory is that the ultras, they wait outside the training ground. I have to say, Scottish football fans don't, that isn't common for Scottish football fans. But in Italy, ultras wait outside the training ground and they will literally kick the car <laughs> as the players are driving in. So you get a lot of players who will, who will drive, as I say, like a cheaper, non-flashy car so that they're not scuffing up their Lamborghini. Wow. Wow. I have learned something new today. I've learned many new things today. Uh, Graham, this was fascinating for me. I hope enjoyable for you. Uh, are there any other things that we haven't covered you would like to cover before we uh, call this one quits? No, I think we, we covered uh, most bases as a rivalry that continues to kind of evolve to this day. I think social media has, has played a role in that because unfortunately Twitter just amplifies paranoia and conspiracy theories about certain referees being biased or, or or pictures of certain SFA chief executives drinking in a Rangers pub or James Sands having dinner with two Celtic players and all that all that good stuff just gets amplified on on social media so while the 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 the, the rivalry on the pitch I think is a little bit calmer than it has been in the past it feels like the the tedium um, has just kind of been amplified by social media. It's, it's a slightly different rivalry now than it was 15 years ago, but just as fierce and as dominant as it has ever been. Well, Graham, you have earned your half and half shirt. I look forward to making that, sending Please, it no. to you and then not hearing from you <laughs> again for a while. Uh, that feels like a punishment. <laughs> Did I do bad? <laughs> that, that, that really does. Feels like a... Uh, Die Hard 3 level punishment of like how to get Graham in trouble is send him out into public wearing that one and, and see what happens. Uh, mm, please don't. Yeah. Okay, fine. We won't do I'm, that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that video for the Patreon. I'll just send you a half and half scarf, which is already lame unto itself. But then with those two teams on it, I'm guessing those aren't sold very often for old firm derbies. No, no, not at all. <laughs> no. All right. Well, Graham Ruffin, thank you uh, so much for bringing the history and the knowledge to this one. I enjoyed getting to sit back and ask questions, uh, but I really, really enjoyed this one. Thank you again. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Listeners, hope you all enjoyed it as well. We'll talk to you again next